Are we on yet, Abby? <laughs> hello, uh, hello, everyone. Hello, Chris. Hey, how you doing, Abby? Look, we both are at a hotel. That Come says something about us. Look, that just means we're making moves, we're traveling, we're making it happen, right? <laughs> now, where, where are you at? I'm in Seattle. Okay, so what's in Seattle? Well, business meetings. That's all I can tell you guys. But we are working up some real good for you guys for the month of October. Good, 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 good. Where you at? I'm actually in Jackson, Mississippi. Mississippi? <laughs> I, drove, I drove three hours north. Ooh, how was that? It was good. It was good? Yeah, so I drove up today. And I typically don't drive when I travel. If it's more than like three hours, I'm not driving. But I'm going from Jackson to Huntsville to, um, yeah, to a couple different places. So I'm excited for the week. Got some good things planned. So both of us got something big going that everybody's going to benefit from um, here in the future. So I'm, yeah. I'm excited. Chef wants good to know if we're live. Yes, we are. We live. <laughs> We are live. So, <laughs> so good deal. So, Abby, so let's go ahead and get the intro. So, guys, um, if this is your first time, I want to welcome you to the Red Line, another episode. So uh, June has been our month to talk about life insurance. Right. And so today we have, you know, we may have a special guest to come on the line to help us out. You know, so let's get this show rolling. I'm Christopher Bush, financial advisor. I'm Abby Joseph, your tax strategist. Come on and welcome to the Red Line, guys. I'm Vic. Cue our intro. That's hundred. That's Welcome to the Red Lines. We have an amazing show for you guys tonight. For the month of June, we have been discussing, for the month of June, look at me, for the month of May, we have been discussing life insurance. I think I I messed it up first because I said June in the intro and it's really that we did this through the month of May. So it's my fault, Abby, right? (laughs) You're good. You're good. Listen, hey, we go with it. So for the month of May, we have been discussing life insurance, the good, the bad, the pros, the cons and um, the benefits, um, and Chris has been doing a phenomenal job just going over the options that you guys have that are available to you. But tonight, we're actually going to discuss the hard discussion that is so hard for you as an individual, for you as a family. But so we wanted to bring along a good friend of us. She is considered the insurance queen. So who do you think we have behind the line, Christopher? Come on in. Come on. <laughs> Come on in, Shanisha. <laughs> hey there, sis. How are you? Oh, Ooh, you on mute. Oh, we got to unmute her. Can you unmute her? Maybe I can. I can I unmute her. I did I it. <laughs> you would think that by now we have this all sorted. Oh, no. But never hi, everyone. How is everyone doing? Um, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, no problem at all. Well, tell the people, I mean, wait, wait, you just can't just pop on. You got to tell the people who you are, right, where you're from, you know. Okay. Let let us know something about you. They know a little bit about Abby and I, so 
Uh, tell us your background. How do you got into the industry? And, you know, yeah, talk to us a little bit. Got you. So first things first, I'm from Brooklyn, New York. You already know. Brooklyn, right? <laughs> from Brooklyn in the house, right? So that's first and foremost. Um, second, uh, I am Shanisha Dixon Tyrell. Uh, you may know me from Instagram, Shanisha's Changing Lives. Uh, and I'm a financial coach. I've been in the industry for, this is my 10th year, right? So come August, it'll be my 10th year. And um, I really like to think that I specialize in insurance and uh, retirement planning. And I've how I got into the industry is actually a funny, funny story. But I think that what led me overall into the industry was life circumstances, right? Um, that that really got me here. So good, good. So what? We, so I mean, that's kind of maybe kind of tips off what we're going to be talking about today. You said some, uh, you know, life circumstances that why you got into the industry. Does that kind of tie into like our show topic that we kind of talked about tonight? Earlier? Um. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, kind definitely, of. kind of. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess I could say in short, uh, really is just about, I guess I got in here because if you know anything about the financial service industry, what we do know is that it's a $63 uh, trillion industry, right? And counting. And because it is such a, a, a place to really acquire a lot of money, for me at the time I was 23 and I was like, where can I make a lot of money, right? Mm-hmm. That was kind of how it happened. And then um, I had uh, the, the job, like everyone, you know, your parents tell you get the job with the benefits. I had that, but I wanted to make more money. And so getting into the industry was actually my side hustle that became my full-time thing. Okay, good deal. Now, what were you, just curious, what were you doing before? Uh, I was working for the New York State Department of Labor uh, as an unemployment rep. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Awesome, awesome. Well, sure. I mean, that's, uh, you know, for me, I always like to hear people's stories, journey, especially going from this probably uh, Abby, one thing we'll touch on. I think that's what's next month's talk, topic about um, mm-hmm. it just going into, OK, how do you jump into the world of entrepreneurship? Right. About increasing your income, switching um, careers. Um, I think that's one of the most powerful things that you can do, um, right. especially if you feel that you're not getting paid with your worth. And, you know, same, you know, just like you, you know, me coming from an engineering background, you know, I wanted to do more. I wanted to make more. I want to have the bigger impact. And uh, when it comes to finances, no matter what somebody's going through, normally finances is going to be some type of topic, right? Exactly. And, uh, <laughs> I always like to tell people, like, I can help people from the cradle to the grave, right? Everything is covered. I got you covered. That's right? it. <laughs> um, and that's what you can do in our industry. So um, awesome. 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 Well, that's very good. So tonight, guys, what we want to do is we want to make sure that we get your question. We have a question um, that we want to go over um, for you guys. Let's actually pull up this question. Now, this question is a long one, so bear with us, okay? It said, um, Abby and Chris, I would like you all inputs on the best pathway to take a view um, via the show. I am looking to deplete all monthly expenses, so so all that is paid on a monthly basis in the car payment, car insurance, cell phone, so I can prepare to purchase a life insurance policy, one or two rental properties, and then a home. I am a 30-year-old single father of two children who is dating. Okay. I live in my parents' estate and have no living expenses. <clears throat> my take-home pay is for um, $4,500 per month. My business makes around $500 to $1,000 per month. It was just started and has um, that amount in it. I have payroll activated, but plan to um, leave those funds in the account unless needed. 
Attached is an image of all the charge accounts and balances. In addition to that, I have vehicle, which is a $12,000 on balance. Payment is $472 per month. Vehicle number two is paid off. Insurance payment is $700 for both vehicles. Ooh, that insurance is so high, but I feel you. Um, camera is $1,700. Payment is $400 um, per month. Oh, the camera. Okay, cell phone payment is $400 per month. Oh, we got to talk about that cell phone payment. I am all curious if two hundred and fifty thousand is enough for a life insurance policy until I get out of debt, where I would then um, increase it to two million or one million for each child. I was quoted two hundred dollars per month for a thirty-year term. Now we have two. You have three experts <clears throat> when it comes to um, life insurance policies and what would be best. Now, quick questions that I have for you, Shanisha, and um, and Chris. In this scenario with this client, would you guys recommend that he does lower his debt um, to income and then increase his um, his policy, or do you guys think that he should start off with a one million or a two million policy? Abby, would you mind? Like, so that was a lot that you just covered. I don't know. Uh, so do you have like, can, is there any way you can share it or is it, it's, it's um, from our email? Okay. So I'm going to yeah. probably, I'm going to, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to share, I'm going to share it bit by bit. So we'll be, um, so you guys can see it. And that then tell, me, tell us one more time. What was the, so he spent, he said he was quoted $300 a month or $200 a month? 200. He was quoted $200 a month for 30 okay. years, but remember it's a term policy. For how much, for how much coverage? Two hundred and fifty thousand. Yeah, there's no way a term insurance policy costs two hundred and for two That's for two hundred dollars. That's and, a lot. And he, for how young did he say he was? He's thirty. 40, years old. Thirty something, right? Thirty. Yeah, okay. he's still young. No. Yeah. Yeah. There's no way that's a term policy. Like if yeah. you're, if, you're, if you're thirty years, I'm sorry. I mean, this sounds like a whole life. Yeah, that can't. I don't even know. That's because how much coverage again? Two fifty. Yeah, that's no way. That's a term policy. That's okay, me. so let's break his question. Let's break his scenario down. Okay, let me do this. So then I could let you guys, everyone can actually, let's view. Okay, so I think the first part of his question is his, um, is his debt. How should he manage the debt? So. Um, and his credit I, card debt? How much credit card debt? Um, the credit card debts, let's see. Um, with the credit card debts, he has a Apple card, 3000 um, FEB Destiny, 744 First Premier Bank, 625 Bank of Missouri, 390 Bank of Missouri, 362 um, Credit One Bank, 337 Continental Finance, 343 So then let's, let me actually just add all of it instead of individually because the numbers got to make sense you know if if i can add something mm -hmm. real quick um i think simply just hearing the numbers without even looking specific and we'll probably end up saying the same thing yeah uh first things first we've established established that that is not a term policy that he was quoted Right. It's, it's not possible. The reason being is that we understand that for term policies, you can get a lot of coverage for a little bit of money. Right. Yes. And that's the thing that attracts them most to people. So two hundred for a 30 year young male uh, that uh, we assume is healthy. I think he mentioned I don't know if he mentioned his health, 
but if we assume it's healthy, 30 years young, 250,000, like that's basically pennies on the dollar. And what I'm saying is that you're looking at give or take, I would, I would even say 35. Yeah. Under, I would say under, uh, under, under $30, 30, about under $40 for that type yeah, of under product, $40, right? about $40 so, or under, depending on the carrier and what he right. uses. Yeah, he, exactly. So do not get that policy for the term. Exactly. So I just quoted someone who, who is for how old are they? 39, um, a male. And I just quoted him for $1.8 million, um, 164 a month. So it's not possible. Yeah. Right. So I would say even with you carrying for me, for someone to be carrying a lot of debt and, and you know, I, I do think it's important to handle your debt. I also think that it's important to prepare for the future. Now, uh, he did mention having kids already or is this something that he aspires to have? He is a father um, of two. And yeah. um, when I review his debt, realistically, OK, um, well, I can never say that he doesn't have a lot of debt. I don't see that he has a, a lot of debt. I just think his debt needs to be kind of consolidated because um, mm -hmm. they're kind of spread. Mm -hmm. So I would say um, it seems like you just have too many credit cards. Um, right. You're looking at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight credit cards. Mm -hmm. So and there's, there's not a big balance in them. So I'm, I'm happy about that. It seems like you're managing um, your debt very well. Um, the only big the biggest debt you have is your car is your vehicle um, and insurance, which is usually, I would say, 90% of everyone as probably here um, are, are either our mortgage, our car, and insurance is our biggest debt, right? So um, vehicle two is paid off, which is very good. Um, vehicle one, he has a $12,000 balance in it. So I think you are doing well with your debts. Um, I would say work hard on paying vehicle two off. And I would say with the um, credit cards, the only biggest one that I would say um, that you would need to um, um, decrease is your Apple card that has a $3,000 in it. Um, other than that, I think you're actually doing a really good job um, for a single dad with two. Um, when it comes to your business, I would probably say put a little bit more energy, um, $500 to $1,000 per month. Um, if that is your cash flow, I really don't know what your um, expenses are. So I'm not sure what the net income is looking at based on your profit and loss. So and I would what, say, what, wait, what did he say his income was? Um, the business brings in around 500 to 1000 per month. And did he say what his business was? I heard camera no. but, or camera. I wasn't sure. No. Um, say, yeah. Okay. Yeah, there was um, there wasn't much. And the only other thing is, I don't think the business is making enough for you to be in payroll. The minute that you the minute you say that you are in payroll, most likely you are functioning under an S corp or you have elected as an S corp. Um, with an S corp, I would say you want to make about let's see, you want to make about fifty thousand dollars or more per year that's what um, I was saying. Elect as an S-Corp, $12,000 a year is not really enough um, um, because it's not worth the cost because payroll is expensive, right? Mm -hmm. um, payroll is expensive. So I would say, um, I would say when it comes to the business, it would be time to kind of sit down and let's put a business plan together. Let's see what is the goal for the business. Um, where do you want to take this business? Um, and you know, for your W two, what is the goal for the W two as well too? Um, so I would probably say let's take a look at the business structure um, because if you say I have payroll activated 
and plan to leave those funds in the account, that tells me um, that you are you have elected as an escort. That would just be my advice. Now, he did say, um, Chris and Shanisha, you can tie in in here. Now, with him being 30 years old and he has two kids, what what if he was sitting in front of you guys' desk, what policy would you guys advise him? So I would just, it would all depend on what his other expenses are just to get the number. But really and truly, uh, I would probably do a combination of term and perm, right? Um, for me, I think it's important, it, depending on what the client also wants, right? If he established that legacy is important to him um, and if the budget permits, then having some form of permanent policy in addition to, but in this case, as he mentioned that, you know, he, what's important to him is to knock down that debt, then there's nothing wrong with getting a term and then converting, right? So getting locked in a 30 year term, uh, $2 million. And I know he said something, uh, a million each for the kids or something along those lines, right? So getting a, a, a term, 30 year term, and then incorporating either having the a child writer because you can't get a, a minor a term policy you can lock in something permanent for them or add them as a writer to your policy and then convert it in within five years to something permanent when his uh budget i mean his debt is uh down and then his budget has more more room for growth right and then locking that two million dollars that he can uh, have access to and then non-medical conversion yeah so that's probably what i would do for him now, on and a financial um, and um, Chris, how how what would you advise him? Yeah, so it's, it's kind of again combination. So for me, like like you said, I would probably say do a term. This just sounds like for some financing part um, because I want I want to see if somebody has debt. People say, Chris, if well, I want to get out of debt. Well, the main reason why that you're in debt because you probably don't have an emergency fund. All right, if we had an emergency fund, we wouldn't be in debt. Right. That's the same yeah. mindset where every single year I'm going to yeah. use my tax return to pay off my debt. Well, that's great. But at the same time, we got to get out that cycle. So right. step for me is number one. OK, let's do Let's do a low cost term level term, either a 30 or 35 year level. Let's use the extra money to build out your financial plan. So you have a emergency fund account. So you have a short term account because he says he wants to buy property. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, if you want to buy property, well, we just can't have that money that we're saving to buy property inside of a bank account. We got to have that into an account that's growing, that's accumulating interest, that's that's working for you, that you can still pull out. Right. right? Lastly, then I would have some type of wealth building strategy in an account to where that money's growing and you're 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 capitalizing on the growth from the market, right? Not mm -hmm. just, you know, again, we're talking about paper assets, but same thing, that's what real estate does. So again, when it comes to building a plan, we got to understand that it's okay to have building blocks, right? I know we talk a lot about having a million dollars worth of coverage, but at the end of the day, if you if you're a million dollars of coverage doesn't fit your budget yet, it's okay, right? Mm -hmm. We got to make sure that we're building it, you know, systematically to where it makes sense for you financially. Don't be afraid to say, okay, you know, when I first got my first policy, um, I was 22 years old. I actually did get a million dollars of coverage at 22, not because I necessarily needed it, but I understood that God forbid something happened to me. I wanted to make sure that my parents were still taken care of. Right. right? Um, my dad and I had real estate together, those type things. So but as I've gotten older, I have I have a daughter now. I've always increased my insurance policy every single year. So, um, you know, I guess whoever gonna be with me the beneficiary may be pretty happy i guess you know <laughs> that's awesome 
So then hopefully um, this was very, um, I think this was phenomenal. So you, you got the tax advice, right? When it comes to the business structure, I would say, let's take a look at the business structure. I don't think you need to actually be on payroll. I don't think you need to elect as an S corp. I think a single member LLC is perfectly fine for you. Um, I would say until you hit that 50,000, stay at a single member, um, single member LLC. Um, I think when it comes to your budget, I, um, I, I would say let's work on the um, on the, the the vehicle. Let's try to actually pay that off, and um, um, and just like what Christopher said, let's create an emergency um, fund account and um, and let's move some money to actually um, build um, um, build capital so you can actually start working in the investment side. So you got all three worlds. You got the business advice, you got the help, the um, financial advice, and you got the insurance advice. Hopefully we answered all of your questions and, and hopefully you are able to leave um, with something and, um, and continue on. So we got the question out the way. Now let's get to the depth of this show. Um, all three of us, right? And I know for myself, and I know uh, with my story, my story is a little probably going to be a little bit different than you guys. Until now, I still struggle with the having that conversation. And I think all of us here, cousins, go through the same struggle. My parents still don't believe in life insurance. My grandma's 90 years old. Um, so my parents didn't believe. I came from a generation of Haitians where the word death was not a conversation that was spoken um, in dinner table. Health, life insurance was not a conversation that was spoken. Wealth was not a conversation. None of that happened. My, um, I remember the first time my dad actually spoke about wealth. He said, I have three children. I will build you guys three houses. That was health for him. So his understanding, building three houses for three children, each of us will have a property. Listen, I've done you guys some goods. I left you guys with some assets. So um, I think the um, the first time the idea of life insurance came up in our conversation, my dad literally cuts it off real quick. He was like, no, um, I don't trust it. Um, people kill people for it. Um, um it's, 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 it's a scam, you know, so he wasn't about it. So, and being the head of the house, you know, if daddy was not about something, then it was something that really was shut down. So now that we are in a different air, right? We're in a different generation. Um, I, I myself started, I literally went and obtained my 215, which was is life health and insurance license. So then I could have been educated. Unlike you guys, I don't sell life insurance, but I actually took, I took the class, I took the licensee so I could actually educate myself and I could educate my family. So can you imagine being an agent? Can you imagine having that knowledge and you still can't gain your family? Absolutely. Yep. It's, it's, it's mind boggling. So then I remember sitting um, in dinner table with my sister and my brother, and we literally had this conversation. We said, listen, our parents didn't get it, but we got it. So then we have to break that, 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 that ignorant, whatever it is, we have to break it. And then we have to actually create something new. So having that conversation with my siblings was very refreshing. It was very opening. You know, I was able to kind of say, you know what? I know my sister can't handle this. So my brother going to handle that, you know, um, going over my will with them. And then after having that conversation, taking my daughter to lunch and having that conversation with her. 
So I think um, we um, that hard conversation, I know for you cousins, um, it's not just me. I know a lot of us in our community, in our culture, because culture has a lot to do with it, in our culture, it's hard to have that conversation. Because that was my story. Uh, so I'm curious to just to hear Shanisha, yours, and um, Christopher, how was that conversation for you guys? Did you want to go next, or? Um, it, yeah, I'll go next. So for me, honestly, it was not hard at all uh, because I learned from my mom, right? Uh, long story short, uh, you know, the reason my mom was an accountant, right? And so when my mom, she uh, came here from the islands and uh, pretty much the whole mindset of when you're coming from the islands, and I don't know if any of you can resonate with this, is that when you come to America, you set up, you get established, you get your house, you get yep. your, your car, right? You raise your children and you give back to home, right? You do not fall back from that, right? So meaning if you got a house, I should never see you in an apartment again, right? Uh, that was the mentality um, that she came from. And so I remember, I don't know if you all remember Y2K when the world was ending, right? Yeah. So yeah, the, the aliens came into town and everything. Exactly. Yeah, so awesome. I, I remember Y2K very vividly. You know, the world uh, didn't end for everyone except for my mom. Right. Uh, and what I mean by that is that it didn't end for her. Uh, literally, it was more so figuratively. You know, my mom, she came from the island. She got a job, worked her way up to get this job, you know, a big corporate job. Uh, down on Wall Street, and she was making really good money. You know, I remember my mom owning her house and driving a Jaguar, right? And for for us during that time, the income she was making was a lot of money. Uh, had five, it was five of us at the time. And so I remember one day, you know, my mom, I never used to see her. We used to have a nanny take care of us, right? She was actually Haitian. That's why I love me some Haitian food, right? Uh, so yeah, some black rice all day. But um, she used to take care of us from the morning, talking 7 a.m. down to, to 9 o'clock at night. That I never saw my mom. I always had the nanny. And then one day, like 3 o'clock, I come home from school and I see my mom. And I don't just see my mom. I see my mom crying. And this is someone I never see crying. I don't know if you see strong Caribbean women. They do not show emotion, right? Um, and so I just knew something was wrong. Come to find out my mom had lost her job. The reason she lost her job was she was injured on the job. Like they laid out bricks due to construction and didn't have any signage or anything. She fell over it, got hurt. And all she asked for was some time off and workers comp while she healed and they fired her. They didn't want to pay her to workers comp, right? Um, at that moment, I watched her go to like different financial institutions and try to get help. And they said, sorry, we cannot service you. You don't make enough. And so I saw my mom sit down at the drawing board at the table, have all her paperwork lined out. She had a life insurance policy on each of our lives, right? So remember, I have five, at the time, five siblings. I mean, sorry, four siblings plus me, right? And her policy that she had. And she had all the policies laid out. And I remember her saying, I'm going to take from the cash value and this can cover at least three years of my mortgage and we'll be all right. We'll get food from the pantry. So I started eating that government cheese, you know, the cheese that don't melt, right? Yeah. So we'll get food from the pantry and as long as we have a roof over our head, right? So I seen her use our cash value policy. So for me, I'm a huge advocate. No one can tell me, one, that life insurance doesn't work in general. Two, no one can't tell me that the cash value portion of it doesn't work. It really just matters about 
who's your who's your agent, right? Is your agent a strategist? Did your person set you up accordingly? Because a lot of these agents are predators, unfortunately, and they don't do the right thing. And so seeing her be able to use that policy, cash value to sustain her mortgage. I never see my mom go back to work after that day. She established her own business, took care of, uh, you know, of the family, never left, uh, never lost her house to this day. This house that I'm in right now, we own. And it's because of her, her life insurance policy. It was able to help her sustain it. And even so much, the policy kept continuing. Um, when when I was getting married, I'm like, oh, I could just use this cash value to my husband. We don't got to pay for the wedding. It's covered. And look, boom, I call them. They tell me, oh, yeah, sorry. There was just an $8,000 withdrawal. You don't have the money there. So my mom up until and she passed away in 2019, up until the last day, she was utilizing and leveraging her policies that she had on our lives that she owned um, and even her own. And when she passed away, we still received the death benefit payout. You understand? So the whole point of that is that I always, I have a different story from other people because my mom, she taught me this, right? She showed me that if no bills get paid, the life insurance policy gets paid, right? And that's probably not the best, but you, the point is you want to make sure that's covered because if anything happens, you're, you're good. Your family's set, right? And that's why when I was thinking about the young man who wrote in, that that's important. Like you have two young children, right? They're dependent on you. And yes, definitely you want to get the debt down and everything, but we still want to have that little, that little line of protection, right? That's what's important to us, that little line of protection. And so now I have other family members that were skeptical up until her passing, right? But it was once my mom was on board, I knew I was good, you know? And so I don't have the same story as everyone because of that. Yeah, everybody. That's good. That's a good story. That's, that's, a, that's an amazing story. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I think for me, I, I, yeah, my story is probably different. I didn't think I don't remember me having a conversation about life insurance until I actually got licensed. Right. No, nobody ever talked to me about insurance before. My parents never talked to me about financial literacy um, in depth. Like my dad, again, he always done real estate. So we've always done that together. But it was about me working the whole time. Right. He never explained the business part of real estate or building wealth. I just knew that I had to go wake up every Friday, Saturday, Sunday morning, whenever to go work. Right. Um, so it wasn't until I got into the industry that, hey, OK, let's go over insurance. And my mentor was teaching me about it to where we had that first conversation. And, um, you know, and that was a big conversation for me because at the time, my mom and dad together, they had a total of about seventy five thousand dollars worth of coverage. Um, they actually had State Farm, but they were paying about three hundred and forty seven dollars a month. Like I remember it to the T. Right. For just seventy five thousand dollars of coverage. Wow. Well, that's OK. I mean, yes, it was a whole life policy, but it was it was a poorly designed whole life policy because they already had it for like 15 years. Like there's no way that, OK, seventy five thousand. If God forbid something to happen to my mom or our dad, what was seventy five thousand dollars going to do for our, for our family? Exactly. Anything for it, right. So I, and for me, so what that conversation taught me is understand how to read policies. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's a, the, one of the biggest. Uh, how can I say it? it's one of the uh, downsides of understanding um, how things work is because you are only getting it from third party information. So until you actually go through a bunch of exercises, you were pretty much never know. Right. right? And, and, and my parents never know. And most people never know. So um, going through that exercise and helping them understand, OK, how to read the cash value tables. OK, they've been paying for this policy for 15 plus years. They got like, then uh, you know, three thousand dollars in cash value. That's nothing. Right. So but paying three hundred and forty seven dollars a month again, that part made no sense. 
Right. right. So that was when we broke it down to understand, OK, what type of policy to have. How, let's look, go ahead and further look at your investment. Let's look. OK. At the time, I think my dad probably had um, at least 18 rental properties. So if God forbid something happened to my father. Right. With 18 rental properties. Right. We would. Kind of, OK. Well, people say, Chris, well, you can you can you can inherit the rental properties. But again, when someone somebody passes away, the last thing that you want to think about is how we can sell a property, sell something else to get income. That right. Like. Is for income replacement, not mm-hmm. just death, right. right? So what needs to happen with those 18 properties at the time, right? So so we needed to make sure we had enough life insurance coverage, right, to cover that liability. So if he were to pass away, we would be getting the tax-free benefit of the what? Of the insurance to pay off all the mortgages on the rental property instead of having to sell the asset. Exactly. See, selling the asset, right? So that's why in this case, again, we would do term. Right. Why? Because if you got that much rental property in place, you you can't, you know, sometimes having a whole life policy for five million dollars, that would cost you like twelve thousand a month. It's not that's not doable. So in that case, you want you want to have a term insurance policy to cover their full liability until the mortgage is paid off. Once the mortgage is paid off, you can drop some of that coverage, focus on investing all the income that's coming in and you can have a better overall plan. So our conversation was uh, eye opening about, OK, what does it look really look like? And why do you choose different types of policies and what, you know, and understanding that my family was underinsured and they had no clue. They never looked at it that way. Right. And I think I talked about another episode when my father was in the hospital and he realized again, okay, we got more property now. We have enough coverage, but we talked about it back then, but he didn't really implement it until he was in the hospital until he thought, man, this is, could be my last time that I, I would wake up. Um, and that's when he realized, okay, we really got to up our coverage and really have to have, have a solid plan. So um, that's kind of my story on that. Wow. So, so we we all here can agree that you know life insurance is really important. It is important. Um, it, it. I remember um, my best friend passing away from lymphoma um, cancer, and as a community, um, she was young. So. Um, and you know us young, we don't think we don't think of dying. So um, insurance is is the last thing in our to do list. So when she passed away, we all had to come together, you know, to put together that funeral. So it's it's it life insurance is something that is important. It is important. Anyone that's telling you that life insurance is a scam, run away from that, guys. It's very important. So um, Kingwell asked okay, on an average. Okay, go ahead. He asked, on an average, how much would a million dollar policy cost someone? Yeah, that's a a vague question. There's a lot of details like you need to know the person's health, the person's age. Uh, Is it permanent policy? Is it a term policy? It's it's quite vague. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, um, I think I wanted to go back. I know we mentioned it before. in this episode, we were talking about like how sometimes, especially our culture, we think insurance is a scam. And so I think we want to, we kind of need to touch on why do we think it's a scam? Like what, what has happened in an industry to make people feel that way? Right. And there's a couple things, you know, I would say, number one, understanding a policy. Um, because back in, I would say the if you have a, a parent that's had a policy for that bought it in maybe the 70s or 80s, a lot of times those are like final expense site policies. They got like $5,000 of coverage, $10,000 of coverage. Right. Uh, I, I started my business in Louisiana. So in Louisiana, they got they have American income. No, not American income. Uh, national life. No, not national okay. life. Uh, what's the one with the green envelope? The old school one. Um, 
dang it, but those are those policies. I just think I can't think about it now. Um, but anyway, they have like five thousand and ten thousand dollar policies. What happened was grandma probably borrowed from the policy to handle some business. So then when grandma passed away, their death benefit wasn't even there. Well, that's because those policies back then were poorly designed. So, yes, they could have been paying this policy for 30 years. But mm-hmm. understand that death benefit probably was only 10K. So they borrowed from the policy. The interest was increasing. So that means the cash value was being depleted. So when somebody passes away, if you borrow from the policy, even though the beneficiary is going to bring, say, hey, look, my policy for my grandma said 10 grand. Why am I not getting 10 grand? Right. Well, it's because she borrowed from it and never paid it back. And it was a poorly designed policy. So right. this I don't believe in insurance because she paid in 20 grand into the policy. But the death benefit is only five grand. Like that's where it, it, it hurts people. Right. Number one. The second thing may be if somebody had a policy, but it maybe it's like a guarantee, a graded life policy or guaranteed mm-hmm. issue policy to where they have to have the policy for two years. But if they pass away within the two years, what happens? They don't get a death benefit. Mm-hmm. They get the premiums plus the interest rate return back. They don't get that face amount. Mm-hmm. So if a beneficiary would never was never on that conversation in the beginning and they're just saying, hey, look, somebody passed. I have documents that can be really discouraging during, during a time of need. Right. 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 And it's- and even another thing, if I can add, Chris, is it's OK. I call you Chris or Christopher. Chris is fine. <laughs> okay. All right. So. Um, so, you know, when you think about just think about the history of of life insurance, right? Yeah. Uh, African-American people were not able to get policies. Yeah. Right. And whenever we and when they did allow us to get policies, I'm talking basic bare minimum for like five hundred dollar policies yeah. uh, was what we were able to get enough to cover burials. Right. So they were out utilizing it, building legacy with uh, big death benefits. And we were getting only enough to bury us, first of all. So that's another thing as to why there's a stigma, like who wants to think about only the death purpose of yeah. it? Exactly. The, the, the experience that I and exposure I had to it was it was talked about life and wealth with me right like at least maybe my mom didn't say it to me I watched her right she saw she said it to herself and I watched her process and it was about wealth for her it was about because if she kept her house she could rent rooms she can rent uh, apartments out of her house that would bring her income she didn't need to go back to work right so it was always related to wealth for me but back then it was about just you know death and it was about them seeing us die and nothing and, and there's no prosper there right? That's one component of it. The other component, you know, is uh, like, you know, Chris said that what was super important is um, us not having the proper knowledge on it. And then like, you know, taking from it because it was a benefit for your grandma to handle the business, right? It benefited her. It, it, made, it worked for her. It feels less like a benefit to you. And that's why you don't like it. Right. Yeah. But to the person who receives a million dollar death benefit, a two million dollar death benefit, even a five hundred thousand dollar death benefit, that feels substantial. We have to have the conversation of being underinsured also. Right. Yes. Not properly insured and underinsured. And then yes. again, reading documents. Right. Uh, yes. Chris also mentioned uh, having the, the wrong types of policies or just having or one type of policy. Another another policy is. um. AD&D, accidental death and dismemberment, yeah, right? So this one right here, basically what that policy does is if it, you, you have to die by dismemberment or accident in order for it to pay out. And that policy is highly pushed. And it's like any, anytime you sign up for or you get a new job, you sign up, they sign you up. Anytime you're walking like in a, 
uh, maybe a doctor's office or something, you see the people sitting up there, they say, oh, for 10 cents a day. And you're like, well, 10 cents. And you believe that you're doing the right thing for your family, and as you should, but you didn't really thoroughly because you relied on that expert, right? You didn't read through the documents. So now you die by heart attack and not by car accident. And then your family is upset that the policy doesn't pay out. But that's really our negligence that we have to kind of be accountable for. And the way we we do that is by reading our documents. We need to read the paperwork. Thank you. Oof, say that again. When I say say that again, Shanisha, you'll be amazed how easily we are to sign a document without thoroughly reading it. And even if you don't understand it, but have or find a trusted person that can actually review that document. You know what? You just you just gave me an idea. (laughs) I I think I mean, I wish we could have, you know, maybe for uh, when I do like a, a live event. I think maybe I should, we should, you know, if we're talking about insurance, I would love for it to have like a, a document review section of our event. Yeah. You know what I'm mm. Like to do uh, to, like a live event of really reviewing people's policies and showing those over on the screen to help people understand that. Because I think there's so many people that talk about the strategies and talk about all that. But like we did last mm-hmm. week, of actually breaking down a policy. But I think everybody needs to understand how to read it and not because when you just read a normal policy, it's kind of like Spanish. Right. Mm-hmm. You can read it and say, oh, mine looks good. OK, yes. but it looks good compared to what? Right. You mm-hmm. always got to ask that question. What does it look yeah. good to? You know, uh, so I, maybe that's something that. Um, and that also knowing the laws that you and that benefit you. Right. So a lot of times people don't know there's something called ambiguous language. Right. And when it comes down to it, ambiguous language basically says because you, the uh, insurer, does not fully you're not from this industry, you don't know. You yeah. have the advantage when going to court. So a lot of times people think like, oh, I don't want to do this because I'm going to have to go through court. I'm probably going to lose. I'm going against a big company. No, you have the advantage in these cases. However, you want to understand one uh, in ambiguous language. You don't have to know every single detail necessarily, mm-hmm. but you need, do need to know enough to justify a decision and why you made a certain decision, right? Absolutely. You, you have to do your DDs. You guys know how I'm, I'm big on the idea that... Um, read the fine lines, read the fine lines, um, have these documents translated. Um, and it's not just an insurance guys, even with, when I speak to my clients, they'll be so quick to sign some type of agreement without even knowing what it is that you sign. Or they'll say, you know what, this accountant completed my tax return and I didn't know that he or she put this number in there. I'm like, you have a responsibility. You are held accountable. This is your life. This is your legacy. This is your wealth. This is your money. I have no idea how people don't don't read documents when it comes to their money. This is your money. So it's so very important that you do your DDs. You have to do your due diligence. And I think one one thing that you can also do, if you don't have, one thing I always encourage my clients, like, so if I'm reviewing a policy for a client, Mm -hmm. um, I'll break it down, right? But at the same time, I know somebody's going to believe their agent over me in the beginning. If I, you know, especially if it's from, oh, I know my agent did this. My agent said that my agent. Okay, I don't understand what your agent said, but I'm telling you what the documents read. So one of the biggest exercises that I want to teach people is don't call your agent. I want you to call the 1-800 number. Right. And I want you to ask them if you have a whole life, IUL, universal life policy, VUL policy, those type things. You need to ask for enforced illustration. Right. And ask them questions like, hey, what happens if I borrow from the policy? Hey, yes. what is what is my loan interest rate if I were to borrow it? What if I borrow and I don't pay it back? What will happen to the you? Want, you have to ask those questions again, yes. not to the agent, 
not the right. most to you. Call their one eight hundred number because when you call their one eight hundred number, they're going to tell they they have no no interest in you whatsoever. They don't care. They're going to tell you the real about how your policies work, right? And tell them to send you that enforced illustration of your current policy and have them break it down for you. Like that's one of the biggest things that you can ask um, um, your policy holder to do for you. Exactly. And then you have what's called a 10 day free look period. So when you get a policy and, and it's already established, you get a policy, you have 10 days to look over the policy. Uh, and, and like Chris said, you know, call that 1-800 number if it makes you feel more comfortable. Call that 1-800 number and ask them to break down some of the, the language that you get in the package, break down these things for you. And if it doesn't align with what the agent says, utilize that 10-day free look period to cancel the policy and look for something that better suits you, right? Yep. Or if it does uh, confirm everything your agent said, then you're good, you know? So I didn't know about that, and that's very good. Like, I knew about the grace period. I didn't know about the 10-day. I know this is a question that's probably all the cousins um, have, but no one wants to ask it. So... And, and I probably have an idea what you guys are going to answer, but they don't know. So out of a term life, a UL, which is a universal life or index universal life, what would you guys say is your favorite policy? Um, in pertaining to our lives or just in general or to sell? In, gen in general. You want to go, Chris? Uh, I'll probably say term. Because yeah, um, yeah, I probably say term main main reason for me is because I'm gonna build. You know, I'm really focused on building a financial plan. Um, so all the investment stuff, the savings part, it's it's great. But yeah, for I would say for most people, I'm gonna do a term policy first, a form of a term, and then I'm really gonna build a robust investment plan for them, right? Because understand, mm -hmm. hey, look, if we're able to save over these next thirty years, you're gonna have more money saved up than you would have in cash value, and then right, I want to I want to build a full plan. Um, so then if somebody has more money, let's say they're more high net worth, they make over $250,000 a year, they have household income over 300 grand, they filled up all the buckets, maybe now they want to fund their own bank or um, have a bank of you or those type things. If they want that strategy because they want to utilize it in their business, if they want to utilize it to buy other assets, right? Again, the whole goal for me, if if I'm using a policy to to as leverage as far as a cash value is going to be for my higher income people and I'm going to use the leverage to buy assets. I'm not using the cash value to supplement my expenses. Right. I'm not using I don't want a client to use the cash value. Hey, because they get behind on bills. No, that's what an emergency fund account is for. Right. So so if, if you're for me. If we're borrowing from a cash value policy, if, if that's even the case, but again, for most people, if you're not making over 300K, most of the time, I'm probably not going to do it, right? Because we have better strategies. Uh, but if you're doing it, and let's say you want to buy a real estate property from your cash value that you overfunded, remember, mm -hmm. if you want to buy a property with your whole life policy, let's say you need to have a $30,000 down payment, you would have needed to put $30,000 into the policy, all right? I think sometimes people don't understand that. If you want to borrow cash value, you have to put in the money yeah, to borrow. Yeah. It's not like, yeah. hey, the money, just because you got a policy that you can just go get the money. No, right? Because, oh, I want to buy a car with it. Okay, if you put $60,000 in your policy, you can go do that. But for most people, it doesn't make sense, right? But I'm going to get the cash value. I better be getting a higher interest rate than my loan rate, right? Mm -hmm. I, I, if my loan rate on my policy is a 5.25%, the investment that you're using that cash value for should be higher or potentially higher rate of return than you're getting from that. Does that make sense? So so, so I'm, I'm, I'm big on the plan, not just the product, right? I'm, I'm a plan guy, not a product guy. So when somebody asks me what policy is best, 
uh, it's kind of hard to answer. It's about the plan, not the product. And, and insurance is not a everything fits all. Like you got to have a good investment plan to go with all that. So that's that's right. I'm, I'm I'm real big on that. I I I like that, and the reason why is because we don't want to have all our eggs in one basket, right? So by having that plan, right? So I have a, an emergency saving account. I have insurance. I have a, um, a, a Roth IRA. I have a solo 401k. I have a SCP. So then we, you actually have a wealth package is right, what exactly. you're saying, Christopher. Okay, exactly. awesome. Very good. Very good. Shanisha, what, what, what is your favorite? So we have opposing, not opposing, because we, we both agree. <laughs> It's the plan and not the product, right? A thousand percent, the plan and not the product. And it's important to work with a strategist. That's why I consider myself a strategist. I'm sure Chris considers himself a strategist. You two as well, um, Abby, obviously, the tax strategist, right? Because it's the strategy that you put in place. Everyone's situation is different. For me, I like permanent policies. Now, whatever permanent policy uh, fits your situation best, that so be it. I like permanent. And the reason why I like permanency is because far too often I see uh, a lot of us, a lot of times, even even I can give you the best wealth plan to follow. Mm-hmm. It's a matter of are you going to follow it? Because Chris can't do the saving and budgeting and investing for you. He absolutely, no matter how many times he cannot. Right. He can t- he can tell you. This is what you should do. The same thing I can tell you. This is what you should do. This is what, right? Abby, you can tell them, hey, do this. File before the 15th and they will not do it, right? Um, And so because of that, I like to think with the end in mind, right? I like to think of with the, you may not get to the point of uh, your million dollar investment portfolio. And because of that, let's make sure that you have this established, right? You may not get there. It could be one, you fall short on your goals, or it could be two, you know, life happens. You Life happens in general, you fall short, fall short on your goals, or life happens and you pass away prematurely, right? So you didn't get to establish what you would have liked to establish for your legacy. And so for me, permanency is important. The other thing is that when you have a term policy, uh, you can outlive the term, right? Only 2% of term policies pay out. And obviously for the reason of, you know, people outliving them, right? That's a good thing. Uh, mm-hmm. However, all that money is going to the insurance policy, um, to the insurance company. And yes, we can get, uh, um, what is it called again? When you could uh, get your return of, money, return of premium, right? You can get a return of premium, but that's not always the case. And sometimes people don't even want to pay that extra money because uh, it is, it costs more, right? For, for that value of getting your money back. Um, and so for me, when you have that permanency in place, whether it's 30 years from now, 40 years from now, if you get sick and you are no, you no longer qualify or you're rated, you don't have to worry about that price point going up. Now I know that inside the policy there is an increase of, on the on the premiums, right? Which is why they have the cash value structure so that the cash value can offset the increase of the premiums that and you don't feel it. I, I still think that when we think about the policy, you you're paying a certain amount of uh, for for thirty years in the term. And then as soon as year 31 hits, a huge jump in price, huge, right? So it can go from $80 up to boom, $1,000, depending on your age, right? And, and then increase every year after that. And so for me, I just try to think with the mindset of what if this demographic does not get 
to this point. Now, I never force any one situation. If you cannot, and I never, and I don't understand why agents do it. Why I, it's crazy. If you can't afford a policy, a certain kind of policy, I'm not putting you in that situation because one, it hurts me too. But even bigger than that, you not, you're not even, I can't even say I helped you because you're not paying a premium. Your, your family's not covered. You, you being covered for one day does nothing for me. You being covered for one year does nothing for me. I want you covered for, for as long as possible that when you pass away, your family says, can you believe mom left us this legacy, right? Whether it's today or, you know, 10 million years from now, whatever the case may be, right? So uh, we all know that it goes up to 120, but whatever the case may be. So for me, it, it really is about the kind of policies. I would say that I do sell a lot of Index Universal Life. That's my demographic. Mm-hmm. That's my demographic, but I do not um, encourage anyone to get a policy that that does not suit them. Right? As sexy as it sounds, is not for everyone. That's Point true. And That's true. Yeah, and, and, it's, 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 uh, and I think one of the misconceptions, um, you know, I, I guess I, I I'm big on the plan because, like, no matter if if it's a whole if if somebody's paying five hundred dollars a month, right? If their mm-hmm. if, if their monthly plan to a, a permanent policy is five hundred dollars a month, they're expected to pay that pretty much their whole life, right? That's, that's a right. that's a that's a permanent plan, right? So, mm-hmm. but if somebody has five hundred dollars a month and just, it just so happens to be split in an investment in a in a policy, it's the same five hundred dollars a month. So, right. if somebody stops a, pl- a permanent, if somebody can't pay five hundred dollars in a permanent policy, mm-hmm. the exact same thing is not paying five hundred dollars in a plan. So, mm-hmm. I, I think that part is kind of a wash when you look at how to evaluate a policy or a plan, you can't, we can't necessarily look at, okay, well, what if somebody stops paying it? Cause if they can, if they're going to stop paying one thing, they still, this is the same thing. They're going to stop paying another. Right. It really depends sometimes. Cause some people have the, the, the mindset of, and we know this, if, mm-hmm. you, if something happens, the first thing to go is going to be the, the insurance. Right. Some people have that mindset. <laughs> and then there's some people who like my mom on the opposite end, no matter what insurance gets me because you yeah. think about that protection, right? Yeah. And, and, and I think for us as, as, as uh, experts, our job is to, is to promote the best case scenario for mm-hmm. them. And mm-hmm. like, we can't get, you know, for, for, and this is how I, this is how I have, uh, I guess, peace in, in what, what I do. Right. Mm-hmm. Because I know from the very beginning that when I'm assessing somebody's clients needs, I'm going to put the best plan in place for them. Mm-hmm. Now, if they deviate from the plan, Right, that I put in place. That's something that after the sale, I cannot control. But it's it's my duty to make sure it wasn't. It's it's not something they they can't control because I did something wrong, or that I I tried to make them pay more money, or I plan. I got to make sure it fits for them. Now, Mm -hmm. you know, if something happens down the road, okay, okay, I I can feel at peace that okay, I still did the right thing. However, it's our job as agents too. This is what again, why I believe in this. I think too many life insurance agents have too many one night stands. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, 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 I mean, I want to. I'm, I'm going to be wrong. So many li- so, the that I have. The problem that I have with like, that one, business, right, is because most people that get into insurance don't know how to run a business. Exactly. Right? So what happens is they don't know how to customer service. Yes, you can sell the plan, but can you customer service? So if you're having a one night stand with somebody. You see them one time, you never re- revisit them because most of the time the mindset is this: yeah. if you're only if you're selling insurance, you 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 did your job. The policy is in place. Why do I need to talk to them? Think about this: when's the last time that you spoke to your auto insurance agent? Mm-hmm. You never. The only Don't even time know their name. 
right? You don't even know their name. The last time you would speak to an auto insurance agent is when you would actually have a claim. If you don't have a claim, most of the time, you never speak to them again. So I think that's another reason why the insurance industry is, is really swayed and, and really dishonest sometimes is because you the agent never has a reason to follow up. So some people can be doing the wrong thing, wrong plan for 10, 15, 20 years and never even know it. Because they think, hey, look, I paid my policy, but because they never followed up, right? And that's why, again, for me, that's why I'm big on it having an investment side because it gives me, it makes me have to follow up with clients. You know, right. I, I, have to, I have to follow up with them every quarter. I have to follow up with them once uh, uh, semi-annually. Some of them I maybe only follow up once, once a year or every two years, mm -hmm. depending upon if they're A, B, C, or D client with me. But it makes me have to have a real con ongoing conversation. So if their plans change over time, I should know that because of my customer service experience, right? Because of how I treat the client, not because of what I did in my one night stand and it's over with. So I, I'm big. You know, like, you know, I, stop I love funny you said that because that's so true. Like literally. All right. So here you see a box, right? I'm yep. sending each of my five-year clients a, a chain and you can see it's a coach chain from, and it's a lock. And this says, and the, the note says we we're locked in, yep. mm -hmm. and like, and, and that's what I do for my five year clients, like that's awesome. because like you, like you said, it's at the end of the day, it's not just about a one like you said a one night stand, right? Oh, it's really about know, that, it. that was perfect, perfect, that perfect, perfect. And, and it's so true, right? True. Like it's really about that relationship, mm -hmm. right? That ongoing relationship, and constantly, you know, I, I even talk about it in, in when I'm doing my presentations. You should be following up with, you know, you're, we're, we're growing, right? Life is changing. We're growing. So your, your clients probably have kids now. They probably didn't have kids when they met you, right? They probably got married. They probably got divorced, right? So if yeah. you're not hitting them and connecting with them at all these different uh, changes in their life, you, you are doing something wrong. Wow. So it's funny. Um, I, so you love term and you love um, um, universal life. And I remember after finishing insurance school and getting my license, I went and got my policy and it was an index universal life. So guys, you guys have it all, all of it, regardless if you have a term life, regardless if you have a universal life or regardless if you have an index universal life, the goal is to make sure that your family is well taken care of, that you are well taken care of, that you are creating a, a, a wealth um, uh, not just for you, but for your family. Um, I know we are hitting on time. I do want to make sure that we do answer this last question, um, which is, it says, what is the difference between paying for term insurance and just investing a certain amount monthly in um, VOO consistently for 30 years? Wouldn't it be the death benefit? Realistically. Yeah. Uh, again, it's about the plan. So let's just say it, 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 she's giving generic numbers. But for me, let's say VOO, if we go to um, I wish I could share my screen, but I'm not on the right computer today. Um, so if, if we if we look at um, the, the historical rate of returns. Right. Again, future future um, uh, past performance does not predict future gains. So disclaimer. Right. Y'all try to sue me. Don't sue me. I'm not telling you to go buy VOO. OK. Um, we're not gonna sue you, Chris. Okay, We're not well, you know, but somebody gonna be paid. Chris told me to go buy VOO. I didn't say you to buy that. I, I'm not telling you to do this. I'm just doing a hypothetical. Okay. Um, uh, so if you if, again, if you're doing um, a plan of buy term and invest the difference, that's what you're saying. You know, if somebody has 
Uh, my thing is, so if somebody tells me, hey, Chris, I got $500 a month, great. Then I'm probably going to spend, let's say, $200 on insurance. I'm going to, other $300 is going to be invested. So mm -hmm. when you look at VOO, the historical returns, um, it's, it's, I think it's around average rate of return of VOO. It's been over the last 30 years, it's averaged about a 9.8%. This is going, That's this nice. is what we're talking right? So in the last 30 years, Vanguard, S&P 500, VOO fund about 9.8%. Right. So understanding that if some if somebody has. Right. Um, I wish I can show this on the screen. Um, I think I try, I kind of did it on our last episode. Um, um, Abby. Right. Yeah, so, you did. Yeah. For like 30 years. Again, I'm, I'm going to just be conservative and say a nine percent rate of return. And we're saying somebody's contributing three hundred dollars a month. OK. Mm -hmm. So so in um, still principal needed. That's that's that would be about five hundred and ten thousand yeah. dollars. So so if if somebody's playing, if they can save at three hundred, then based on their commitment of the term is going to say if, if it's good or not. Does that make sense? Yes. Because the goal is if you can't save the amount of and this is where insurance right. agents get wrong, is that a lot of times, they, OK, I don't like buy terms and invest a difference because when I get when it hits that thirty one years, then I don't have coverage. Well, if they hit the thirty one years, don't have coverage and don't have money. It was a bad plan. Does that make right. sense? Right. In the industry, most life insurance agents are not investment licensed. So if you're trying to sell a buy term and invest a different strategy, but you're not investment licensed, you can't possibly do the wrong, the right thing for the client. So then that's how buy term and invest a difference gets a bad name is because right. your agent that you set with only sold you a term policy. They didn't sell you the plan. So then when you get older, oh, term doesn't work. Oh, term is a mistake. No, it's just the person that you set we with. They didn't have a plan. Yeah, no, the, the person that you set with only had a life insurance license. They didn't have an investment license, mm -hmm. right? So when you do both, then I can, we can always make it work. Why? Because now whatever amount of money that accumulates outside of the term policy, now we can guarantee that amount once it's saved up to make a permanent policy that you no longer have to pay a monthly premium for, that you don't even have to have fees on, that continue to that continue to, that can, can continue to grow on your investments, or you can use the dividends from your investment account if you want to have a policy long term. Like let's say you want a policy after the 30 years. Well, I normally take my clients dividend payments right, that they're getting from their policy and pay their extra insurance costs so they can extend their policy long term. So I believe in having policy, I mean, uh, um, coverage forever. It's about how are we mathematically doing that to, to or engineer that to make that happen. Right. But I think it's, it's all about having that plan on VOO is just I mean, that's an awesome plan. But it just we got to know the numbers, though. Right. Yeah, if you right. Only get, it's all about the numbers. Only get right. $400 a month and you got a policy for like $70 mm -hmm. and you only save investing, only investing $30 in VOO. It don't make sense. Like, again, yeah. that, that wouldn't be a great plan. So yeah. so like that's the part that we're talking about on the strategy. Like you really got to know your numbers, guys. Um, and somebody yeah. has to be transparent with the numbers. And so the other thing is that you have to think about, well, when it comes down to it, you, you are, you're assuming you have 30 years. And I think that's yeah. the point of protection, right? Just if I, if I read the person's question correct, you're assuming yeah. you have 30 years, you know, if the, the advantage of life insurance is that you can sign up today, die tomorrow, well, and as long as they receive that premium payment, then yeah. you're, you're covered, you know, whereas you didn't need to have that 30 years, right? And so it's always thinking with that in mind, I'm, I'm buying time. Mm -hmm. essentially yeah. i'm buying time that's on you know because with investments we have to accumulate right mm -hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that that's obviously that's the whole point right that's, that's what point. we all do mm -hmm. but it's also that protection that's buying you your time 
Both are important, guys. I tell you, this is the best show. Look, you have a financial advisor. You have a tax strategist. You have a life insurance agent. I don't know in the um, financial world how you could even have it any better than that. Relationship over transaction. That's mm -hmm. how I want you guys to end tonight with. It is important to have a relationship with either your agent, your financial advisor, your accountant, relationship over transaction. And both of these in individuals are giving you guys a relationship, not a transaction. I hope you guys enjoyed the month of May of life insurance. I hope you guys have these hard conversations with your family, with someone that you love or someone that is very close to you. Have those conversations with your children before they actually go to college. Have those conversations with your elders, your, your parents, your grandparents. Even though it is a hard conversation to have, remember the hardest things are usually the most rewarding ones because we had the strength to actually have that conversation. Shanisha, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Um, Chris, phenomenal as always. Listen, guys, thank you so much, cousins, for showing out tonight. We will see you guys next month. Just to give you guys a little tweak of what's going to happen next month, we are going to talk about entrepreneurship. So, if you were thinking about um, opening that business, or um, you know, or you running a business and you having a hard time with it, next month, get ready. We're going to have a phenomenal show for you guys. Chris, will you end for us? Give us Come a what, what do Mark be doing benedictions? <laughs> I don't have a benediction today, right? I just want everybody <laughs> to uh I want everybody to understand that um, you know, this money stuff is something that we have to learn, we have to go through. And sometimes, unfortunately, you gotta go through trial and error, right? You may not get it perfect in the beginning, right? You may have had a bad experience before, but one thing I want you to understand is that don't let that bad experience deter you from where you need to go and move forward, right? I really want to encourage everybody to get the knowledge, um, um, speak to your experts, um, to get the answers that you need um, so you can have a better financial life. And the more and more that you guys get educated, the more and more that you guys can feel confident and um, have a wonderful you know, future for you and your family. So guys, um, I appreciate your time. Uh, I'm Christopher Bush. I'm Abby Joseph. And I'm Shanisha Dixon Tyrell. <laughs> and this is another episode of The Red Line. We'll see you guys next week. See you Bye. guys. I'm Y'all good? Hello?